everybody. I'm Tom Farrell. I'm Sean Swarner. And this is another edition of our Hope Podcast. Helping others persevere every day. Today, we are going to talk about, we're going to actually divide this up into two parts, this podcast. First part, we're going to talk about giving till it hurts. And the second part we're going to talk about is helping in time of crisis. So, um, they, they kind of go hand in hand, as you'll see, as we make our way through this conversation, but we thought it would be uh, two important and timely topics to talk about. So giving till it hurts, Sean Swarner. Um, there's an expression that my parents instilled in me a long, long time ago, and it was, it's better to give than to receive. And um, when I was younger, it kind of just went in one ear and out the other ear. But now, as I get along here in life, that expression really uh, takes root with me. And there's so much truth to that. And, and wanted to use that as our springboard today for this conversation. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I, I know where you're coming from. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as old as you are, but I, I do appreciate giving. <laughs> Wait, what, why do you... <laughs> find the need to inject that into every single uh one of these no i i totally know what you feel like it it is it's great to 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 give and and i think the more you give the more you get you know and and there are so many ways that you can you can give back and just recently i don't know if i know i've mentioned this before but my wife's puerto rican and we actually uh, we were down there a couple years ago and uh, it made the news all over the place. But the, remember the two hurricanes, Irma and Maria? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first one went through. We were actually on the beach, and a lady came by, and she just said, did you guys hear about the hurricane coming through? And we were like, what? The vacation ruined. So <laughs> that, that's it. The vacation was over. Um, the first one wasn't too bad. Irma came through, and it was like a Category 3 or category, a low Category 4. But uh, when Maria came through, I remember sitting uh, in, in bed and I was, I, was, I was asleep. So I was laying down. I wasn't sitting in bed. I was laying down in bed and behind me in the yard, I've never heard the sound before, but I heard a tree snap in half. You know, it just ripped in half. And I, I knew instantly what it was. And I was like, oh crap, here it is. You know, get ready. And this was like three in the morning. And then for the next 14 hours, it was 160 to 165 mile an hour winds. So, and, and the thing was, you know, it was like a, uh, a 35 mile wide tornado going at 165 miles an hour. And it was, it was just unbelievable. And I, I can see you're, you're, you're getting ready to say something. Is it, is, it, is it true? It sounds like a freight train. I've never been in a tornado, but that's, that's the analogy that I have often heard. Is that a true analogy in your mind? I, I would say it sounds like you're standing right behind a jet engine it's just a constant Man. blasting through and, and you don't know the worst part is you just don't know what's going to happen you know it's it's the um uh, just being unsure you don't know if, if a tree's going to come flying through the window a cat's going to go flying through the door you know you don't know what's going to happen um but afterwards her uh, my wife's um, sister-in-law she told me you know this this is the best part when the hurricane's over, people are going to slowly start coming out of their houses with a bottle in one hand and glasses in the other hand. 
and they're going to all get together and talk about how bad it was. But then the community starts pulling together. It's, it's almost like misery loves company, that, that old saying too. But then they start giving and helping and everybody goes from house to house and they start fixing the garages. They, they start cleaning up the glass. They go around with their chainsaws and start picking up um, the, the trees. You know, there was a lady who, she went, she did just fine through the hurricane and she was out walking around looking at some stuff. She tripped over uh, one of the trees and she sliced her hand from her palm to the middle of her forearm. And I've, I've never experienced this before and I've, I've heard of stories of like a mother having this um, flow of adrenaline, like lifting a car off her child, right? The same thing happened to her brother and I. We actually, we lifted up this tree to get this lady through. And like, I, I was just, my whole body was just buzzing and tingling. But it's, it's amazing how, how much things are, are, are appreciated more after something traumatic like that. But you can always give back and you can always help. If you just open your eyes and look around, people need help everywhere. Yeah, everywhere and every day. However, there is, um, you have to be aware of what you're giving to is, is what I'm, I guess the point I'm trying to make here, because a lot of times in life, you can get inundated with people's requests about who to give to. So how do you, in your mind, how do you uh, divide and, and conquer who you're going to give your, your resources, your time, your your energy towards is there a, is there a method to your giving there, there is and I, I look more towards um, like having a purpose what, what is my what, what are my skills um, what skills do I have that can help me with a purpose and the purpose that I want to give in help with other people and uh, going back to the uh, the hurricane you know everybody was was giving bottles of water bottles of water bottles of water bottles of water which is fantastic However, because of that, 18 out of 25 of the landfills are full because of the plastic bottles. Wow. So, well, and it's obviously it's an island, you know, so you can't just find new space. So what we decided to do is I, I looked at my, uh, the connections that I had with my, some of my sponsors and companies I've worked with in the past. And one of them was LifeStraw. They're actually a water filtration company. So we got in touch with those guys and I utilized the connections that I had and I reached out to a local town and we flew down there a few days after we were home and collected all this stuff with these water bottle or water filters and water bottle filters. And we also had one that was a community water filter. And we, we gave it to the town and the water filter, because the island, it, right, right there, there's a tropical uh, rainforest. You know, they have tons of rivers, they have tons of water, they just can't drink it. So what they need to do is just, you know, for me, I was looking at where, where the issue was, where the problem was. And the problem was people were giving and, and giving and giving the water bottles and the plastic. And the plastic was destroying the island. So what we did was, like I said, we went down there with those water filters and we ended up helping, I think it was 30,000 people a day with fresh water. So what I did was I, I looked at the purpose that I wanted to focus on, you know, and, and what the, the immediate need was. And people need, they immediately need water. And everybody was supplying that for them, but how can you make it better? So the way my brain works, I look at something and I, I try to look at it from a different angle and think, how can I make this better? <laughs> you always do that in every aspect of your life. You look at things from a different angle. Um, speaking of a different angle, a lot of people look at giving and they think of giving in the monetary sense. I got to give some sort of contribution um, in the form of money. But I have found that 
there are so many other ways to give to people. And whether it's, whether it's your kid and you give them the time where you just sit there and, and take the time to care about something in their life, whether it's a relationship that you're in with, with uh, your spouse, you got to give that person something from you that's not always money. You know, it's, it's, it's your energy, it's your mind, it's um, a good deed, it's a, a note to somebody sometimes. But I just always try to encourage people that um, when you think about giving, don't just think about money. Think about other ways that you can give people. And I have found that a lot of times doing that is so much more rewarding and lasts longer than any sort of check that we could ever write to somebody. No, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, the old saying, uh, uh, time is, is money, but I, I really think that time is the most valuable commodity in the world. Everybody has a limited quantity of it. You know, everybody has 24 hours in the day. It, it's up to you to decide how you want to divvy up your time. And if you're giving your time to someone or to something, you're investing in that. You're investing in that person. You're investing in that charity. You're investing in whatever. You know, if, if you're volunteering your, your time, you're, you're, you're giving your time. And I think, like you said, that's going to matter more than anything because people realize that. Yeah, time is money. And uh, I think a lot of people forget how valuable time is. And I'm always amazed at the people who always seem to have enough time in the day. And they're the busiest people that I know. But they always make time to make the important things happen. And I think that's what we have to remember is let's try to prioritize what we put our time towards. And it, it takes a thought process that you really have to um, think about and, and make sure that you're going along the right road because it's easy. I've seen it. I've, I've done it. I'm guilty of it sometimes to, to kind of stray off the prior, uh, priority path and, and go sit in front of a, t- a watch a show for two, three hours or, um, you know, some, some of the younger people in my house, I won't name names, but sit there and, and play video games for hours upon hours. And um, I try to encourage uh, a balance of that. But yeah, t- time is so precious and a gift that can, can really be beneficial to somebody. You know, you know I've, I've um, been really fortunate to see and actually be a part of numerous cultures around the world. Um, one of the ones that I actually uh, am, am really fond of is Tanzania, you know, over there. And, and I was uh, adopted into a member of the Chugga tribe a number of years ago. You know, they, 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 had, a, they had a whole ceremony. They actually, they brought in a goat. Um, I remember my mom was there and the goat was tied up in my buddy's, uh, the corner of his, his front yard, little front yard. And my mom walked in. She's like, oh, that's, that's so cute. And I was like, mom, don't get too attached. That's, that's going to be dinner. So they ended up bleeding the goat. Mom went to the back and they, they kind of uh, initiated me into the Chaga tribe. So when I go back now, um, they joke around and call me, I have a Swahili name, which is Muzungu Kicha, which actually means and literally translates to crazy white man. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I have that, that wonderful distinction. Um, but in, in some, and why did they why did they do that for you? They I've I've just I've just known those guys for so many years. You know, been up Kilimanjaro eighteen times, and I've used the same crew every year. We're 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 great friends. We're like family, and te- I mean we are now. You know, technically I guess not blood wise, but we're we're family. 
Yeah, but what I'm sure of is that you gave them the gift of your time and got to know them in a way that made them want to do that for you. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. When, when we go up the mountain, we're not treated like clients. And I've never treated them like I, I, was, I, I paid them to, to get me up the mountain and, and get my, uh, my clients and, and the group up the mountain. I've always treated them with respect. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've always treated them um, and I've, I've always brought stuff over from the United States in my bags to give them. And one of the things I always tell the people who, uh, who join my groups, uh, you know, everybody has clothes. Everybody has extra clothes. Everybody has maybe some extra pair of boots or a backpack that they're not going to use. Um, and I tell them, look, you know, the people over there, I've seen porters on the mountain wearing penny loafers, you know, in jeans. And I'm, I'm, I'm wearing, and most of the other people on the mountain, the clients, you know, they're wearing like, you know, two, $300 pair of boots. And this guy's got a recycled pair of, of penny loafers. So every year we always give them probably those, those giant 60 gallon garbage bags, those industrial size ones. Yeah. We fill those things up, probably three or four of them with clothes. And we always, we always just leave them there for the guys. Awesome. So, but awesome. my, my point that was even in some of the, the most, uh, some of the poorest cultures in the world, they seem like they're the happiest people and they're always giving and they're always willing to help. I wonder if it's a cultural thing. I, I got to believe it is because you hear that over and over again, that those type of cultures are the happiest. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we touched upon it a little bit about giving in times of crisis. You have seen it firsthand, obviously in Puerto Rico with the, the tornadoes. Um, I love the analogy of when it was over, you kind of just emerged from your homes and, and, and uh, raised a drink and got to work. But um, you, you ha- yourself have been through multiple crises in your life and amazed at how you have come out on the other side. Are there any people that kind of resonate in your mind that, that kind of came to your aid in the time of crisis that could be a learning point for somebody who's listening today? Like, man, that, that's interesting. Never came at it that way. For sure. I mean, the, the first thing, uh, the first, the first person that came to mind was probably my mom. And then immediately after that, the family, you know, my mom, my dad, and my brother, they were always there. And uh, I do remember one time I was 60 or 70 pounds overweight, no hair on my body, wearing a baseball cap. And I went back to uh, swim practice. It was my first time back. And I was walking around on the deck and people were, uh, I didn't know this until later, uh, when my brother told me, but people were making fun of me. They're like, who's a new, who's a new fat kid? You know, how's he going to swim through the water? You know, he looks like Sean and he talks like Sean. Who does, who does he think he is? You know, who's this chubby guy? And then uh, my brother ended up sticking up for me and telling them, you know, Hey, that's, that's, that is Sean. He's going through chemotherapy. He's going through treatment right now, just so you guys know. And how would you feel if somebody was making fun of you? You just kind of turned it around. So he's, he's always been there for me, always supported me. And he's probably the, fir- the first person that I would reach out to if something went wrong and I needed something because I, w- I could trust him. But people who don't have direct family members, I mean, there are friends out there. There are people who, who can be your family, not necessarily by blood or marriage, but they're, they're close enough friends that they can be like family. I have a group of four guys from college. You know, we get together once a year and, and they love Vegas. I can't stand that place. But uh, they... <laughs> They they love it. They love they love gambling. And what I do is I just like uh, I just I just like having some drinks and making fun of them when they lose their money. So, you know, 
if, if people don't have those family members, there are friends there. And all you have to do sometimes, and this might be very, very difficult because of someone's pride or how they feel about something. A lot of people have a really hard time asking for help. Yeah, they do. And, and a lot of people go through crisis in different ways. Um, you, you can take someone who kind of becomes the ultimate, ultimate introvert and bottles up all their emotions during the crisis and you have no idea how they're feeling. And then you also have the person who wears their emotions on their sleeve and you feel and hear everything. And so there's a balance that you have to, uh, you have to tap into, especially when you're trying to help that person. I think it's your responsibility as the helper to realize who you're dealing with. Yeah, and I, and I think you also have to understand that what works for you might not necessarily work for somebody else. You know, and, and you don't have to understand where they're coming from. You just have to respect where they're coming from. That is so key. I, and I fall victim to that a lot of times. And I think that's so important is what works for you doesn't work for everybody else. And I, I experience that on a daily basis as a parent. You know, I, I experience that in, in marriage that a lot of times you bring your opinions to the table and they don't necessarily sync up with the individual minds that you've created and that you've married. So man, Sean, I think you've really hit on something there that's important for, for all of us to remember. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's important to realize that people have different perspectives. You know, it, the, depending on how you were, you were raised, where you were raised, uh, in what decade you were raised, it, it, it it, it can be completely different. You know, two twins, two identical twins, my mom and my, uh, my aunt Jerry, um, you know, they were, they were raised, they're identical and they were raised completely the same, but they have different perspectives on life. They have different perspectives on how to raise their kids. It's, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Like you said, it's just different. You just have to understand and, and respect that. You know, I mean, a, a good way to describe it too is if I'm holding a deck of cards and I'm holding it uh, straight up and down, and I'm asking you to look at it from this, and I'm actually holding the deck of cards so it's lengthwise. You can look at it and say, well, I see something that's uh, you know, about a half an inch thick. It's about four inches tall, and that's, that's about it. And then I can ask somebody to look at it from, or from a 90 degree angle, straight on from a, a different perspective. What does that person see? It's the same deck of cards, but it's from a different perspective. Now it's much bigger, it looks completely different. You're looking at the same thing, just seeing it with a different set of lenses. Yep. And, and I think that's the way people see crisis, too, in different ways. And so I always suggest to people that it doesn't matter what you do, just do something. If you know someone who's struggling with something or a community that's going through a really hard time, just do something. And and a really good example that I can use in that category is we did, we recently did a show um, called Basketball or Nothing that's on Netflix. And it took place on the Navajo Nation in a town called Chinle, Arizona. And right now, Chinle is going through a really, really, the town is really struggling with the virus. And um, per capita, they're the hardest hit place in our, in our country right now. And so someone at our office who will, who will uh, remain nameless 
she stepped up on her own time and her own dime to coordinate an effort where she got a thousand masks out to that community because that was something that they desperately needed. And it, to me, it was a classic example of someone who just took the bull by the horns and said, I know I have to do something to help these people. This is what I'm going to do. And it made a difference. So um, there, there are little examples like that that I'd love to point towards that it doesn't matter what you do, just do. Absolutely. You know, so many people are, uh, and it'll, maybe this is, this is an issue too. Some people might just be inundated and flooded with so many options that they're, they're petrified. They, they don't know how to, to move forward and they don't know where to move forward. They don't know what to do, you know, but I was, I was doing the math earlier today. And if you can reach out to, and, and this might, you know, be a, a great way to wrap it up too. Um, you know, giving the, the, a takeaway. If you can reach out to five people this week and just check in with them, hey, is there anything I can do, anything you need? You're, you're giving your time, you're checking in with that person, you're showing, you're showing the appreciation, showing gratitude all at the same time, and you're letting that person know that there, there is support if they need it. So, so if you reach out to five people, and those five people reach out to five people, and those five people reach out to five people, literally within 10 steps, you're at 10 million people. 10 million people. Just like that ripple effect. Yeah, I, I love it. So now I not only have to do 100 push-ups a day <laughs> this week, I have to reach out to five people. And I think I will challenge anybody who's listening as well to reach out to five people. And you'll be amazed at what that type of giving will make you feel like during the rest of your day. So uh, again, Sean... I could keep talking on and on and on, but I think this was a good place to wrap it up. It's a good takeaway to give to people. And uh, as always, grateful to be uh, able to spend some time with you. And uh, until next time, I'm Tom Farrell. I'm Sean Swarner. And that is your dose of hope for today. <laughs>